Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Good morning. Great place to be. Enjoyed the song service, the prayer, and it's getting to see you guys. We were leaving for church this morning and listening to some preaching on the radio. I guess you call it that. But anyway, I told Marilyn, I said, I'm glad I'm going to Harmony Church this morning. The Lord's delivered me from so many things and that we have this church to go to. It's a great place. I enjoyed the prayer. Brother Thomas was praying, and I thought to myself when he prayed, as he began his prayer, our most, our most kind and loving Heavenly Father, I remembered the first time I came to this church and would hear people pray at this church. Brother Thomas was one of them. And you kind of model your prayer after you hear somebody else pray. And so I, I, I recognize that I, I modeled a lot of my prayers by the beginning of Brother Thomas's prayer. That's kind of the way I start my prayer because of him. It's amazing the things you learn in church that you don't even know you're learning while you're there. And it is a wonderful thing to be here and appreciate Brother Dan and them getting back safely. And we prayed for him and I'm thankful for Brother Dan, and I think he's doing a fantastic job here, and I hope you'll continue to pray for him, and let us be thankful that that we have a pastor and uh, things are going good at our church. So, uh, good to be here. Pray for me this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Zechariah. It is the next to the last book in the Old Testament. <clears throat> this is a... Uh, interesting book. The word Zechariah means the memory of the Lord or the Lord remembers. And in this book, you're going to find a lot of prophetic references to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, uh, it's packed full of those things. And I think that's why it's talking about the memory of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is already remembering the person of the Lord Jesus Christ before he ever comes into this world. And it's the time of this book was written after the Babylonian captivity when the Jews had returned to their homeland. And it was uh, prior to their rebuilding the temple, and the purpose of the book was to stir them up to build the temple and to restore the pure worship of, of God and to encourage their faith and hope of the return of the Messiah. And I'm going to go over to the 13th chapter of this book, and you'll notice that uh, this chapter, just in this one chapter, it refers to in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David. It's already in this very chapter, there's several references to the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, it shall, it shall come to pass. And if you're going down through here, you'll find that many of these verses begin with a prophetic thought of Christ's coming and of the future church, New Testament church. But I'm going to go to the, let's go to the second verse of this. Now let's go down to the sixth verse. That's where I'm after. Zechariah 13 and 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now, that's the person of Jesus Christ speaking himself here prophetically, that he was wounded in the house of his friends. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. But first of all, let's just talk about friends, because the Bible has a lot to say about friends and having friends. They're very, very important to us. And in Proverbs 18 and 24, is a familiar passage to all of us about friends. A man that hath friends must show himself to be friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. 
And that's true, isn't it? That if we're going to have friends, then we must show ourselves to be friendly to other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Having friends is a wonderful thing. Sometimes I've been on the golf course before and playing golf. And one of the things I like about playing golf is not just playing golf, but it's meeting people. And I've made a lot of friends out on the golf course, just meeting them, talking to them, finding out where they came from, what their profession is, the things they do. And and we've made some really good friends over there just by doing that. But I've noticed that there are some out there that are not really showing themselves to be friendly. (laughs) Uh, If you're standing over there and somebody's putting and you're twitching your finger or you wink your eye, they're upset at you for anything. And I do notice that there are a lot of guys out there that don't have very many friends because of the way that they act on the golf course. But you know, it's the same thing in life that the people that we're around, uh, the way that we treat them, the way that we speak to them, has a lot to say with the number of friends that we, we might have. Now, I don't know about you, but I need as many friends as possible because I love people and I like to have friends. I like to interact with them. I like to be around them. And, you know, people can get very lonely in their life if they don't have any friends. You can just get lonely and depressed and just sit around the house. And, uh, but friends are very, very important. Several years ago, I came across the best definition of a person who is a friend, and it said, a friend is a person that walks in when everybody else is walking out. And that's true, isn't it? When we go through trials, you think about the people that are the closest to you. If something, if you were to go through a tragedy in your life, those friends would be the ones that would come to your rescue. In the church, we see that. We see that uh, we have friends here that comfort us when we go through trials. The Bible speaks about friends being in the church. And have, Paul would say, greet the friends, that are, salute the friends that are with you. That's a wonderful thought about members of the church. But the Bible also warns us about some people that we do not want to be friends with. We don't want to be friends with everybody. Uh, One of my favorite psalms is the very first psalm. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, uh, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of of the scornful. There's some people that you really don't want to make friends with. And sometimes... We don't differentiate the difference between those kind of people that we do want to be our friends and the people that we really do not want to be our friends. And in Proverbs, Solomon warns us, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Because sometimes when you're around those kinds of people, you kind of begin to be like them. And that's true in our lives, that the people that we are around are usually the kind of people that we become. Young people, when they get out in the world, if they're going to run around with people using drugs or doing things they shouldn't do, uh, if it's put in their face every day, sooner or later they're going to succumb to the temptation of it and become that kind of a person. And that's one of the great things about being in God's house is you get around the people that love the Lord Jesus Christ of like precious faith, that believe the things that you believe, you hear their prayers, you see the way they live. And it has a great impact upon us. And being away from it, I don't know about you, but when I'm away from it, if I miss a church or something, uh, you know, you you miss it. You want to get back. You want to be engaged and have people that you respect. You want to be around that kind of person. One of my favorite quotes about Friends, another one was this uh, movie. I I guess you may have seen it, my favorite Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And, you know, George is the one that was the banker. 
and he thinks he's lost. Well, he has. He's lost everything. And he's thinking about taking his own life and jumping into the river. Well, God sends this angel down to help him and watch over him and and show him all the blessings that he has so he will not jump into the river. So finally, he realizes what would have happened if he hadn't been born and all that hadn't happened to him. And so he asks for his life back again. And so he uh, goes back to his home. And at that time, everybody has heard about the tragedy. And they begin to bring money and things and watches and drop it in this pile on this table to help him pay off this huge debt that he has. And so the angel pays his last visit to him by ringing this little bell because it was said that when a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And Clarence the angel has left him a note there in the midst of all the money. And um, the note says, No man is a failure who has friends. And I thought, you know, that is true. We might lose everything that we've got, but as long as we have some friends around us to hold us up and pray for us and be with us, it is a very, very, very special blessing. So he that hath friends must show himself to be friendly. But there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And who is that? That's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He always sticks closer to us than anybody else. He is the one that comes in sometimes when everybody else has gone out. He sticks close and he's been with us many times in our own personal experiences when we didn't even know that he was there. I don't know about you, but I can look back in some trials in my life and thought that, you know, nobody cared about anything. But I look back now and I I do remember his presence was there the whole time because I can remember even in the midst of a trial, there was some joy in it. Something about it, I remember that there was some presence or something that held me up through it and gave me hope. And I know that that was the person of Jesus Christ. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So as we're talking about being wounded in the house of my friends, we are talking about the person of Jesus Christ being wounded in the house of his friends. And let's remember who that he died for. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. So when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he didn't die for a generic people. That's what a lot of theology in the world says. Jesus died for everybody. You know, Jesus died and he made it possible for everybody to go to heaven. But according to the scriptures, Jesus died for a particular people that were given to him by the Father in the new covenant that Dan was talking about this morning. Those are the very people that he died for. He knew them personally. He knew them intimately. And they are his friends. And it's a wonderful thing to be thinking that Jesus Christ is my friend. You know, I've I've got a friend in high places. His name is Jesus Christ. He's higher than anybody down here, no matter how popular or how powerful that they are. Jesus Christ is my friend. When Jesus Christ was washing the saints' feet, I love what he told them when he was washing their feet. He said, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now, if you're here this morning, and Jesus Christ has made it known unto you that he died for you up on the cross to put away your sins, then you are his friend. He's let you know something very, very special. Something that the world doesn't know. 
you know, we sit here and sometimes we assume that everything we know, everybody else knows. But they don't. You are his friend, and he's let you in on some things that a lot of people don't know about, especially those that he didn't die for. But there are some that he did die for that we want them to know that what he has done for them. This week I was talking to a man, and I was telling him about our worship service. <clears throat> and the things that I told him about were, were somewhat foreign to him. It was like we were strange people. He said, well, how long do y'all worship for about an hour? I said, no, we sing songs for 30 minutes. <laughs> he said, you, you sing songs? I said, we actually sing them ourselves. <laughs> Everybody at our church is in the choir. <laughs> but anyway, the things I told him about were like it was a foreign thing to him. And I thought, oh, I, I just wish he could come and enjoy the things that we enjoy here at our church. But it's one thing to be wounded by your enemies. But it's a very painful thing to be wounded by your friends. But our text says that I was wounded in the house of my friends. So as we look at Jesus Christ, I want to look at the book of Matthew and just kind of go through there a little bit and chronicle his life because I think that this what we've just read about in Zechariah is chronicled in the book of Matthew. And why not? Because Matthew is the gospel that was written to the Jews themselves. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so here he comes to the people that uh, are his kindred. You know, same religion, you might say. He was a Jew, they were a Jew. And... Um, he begins to make a lot of friends. As you go to the first miracle that Jesus Christ performed, he was invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, if you'll go back a chapter, and I think this is over in John, by the way, but anyway, he, he uh, calls Andrew and Philip and Peter. They become his disciples, so he's making some disciples, and he's, he and his disciples and his mother, by the way, are called to Cana of Galilee. And it is there that he turns the water into wine. And the people recognize that that was a, a miracle. And by the way, it does state that that was his first miracle. Now, don't you know that when Jesus did that, he made a few friends? I can tell you, he made quite a few friends at that wedding. But as he goes through this book of Matthew, you'll see how he begins to make more and more friends. He's showing himself friendly to a lot of people, doing a lot of good things for them. The second miracle was when he returned from Cana of Galilee, and this nobleman meets him and told him that his son was dying. And Jesus said, go thy way, your son is, 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 is living. And he went back and found his son alive. And they said the very hour that he was speaking to Jesus Christ, that his son was healed. Now, this was a nobleman. He was a pretty important person, and so Jesus begins to make some more friends. If you go over to Matthew chapter 8, and that'll be a place I see you looking in your Bibles, you're trying to find this. So go to Matthew 8 if you want to, and you'll find that this is right after Jesus Christ had preached the longest sermon that we have recorded in the Scripture. Referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. It's a wonderful sermon to read. And just after he preached the Sermon on the Mount, look at Matthew 8 and 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So do you see what I'm getting at this morning? That he is making a lot of friends. He has a lot of followers. 
great multitudes are now following him. He's performed the miracle. He's turned the water into wine. He's healed the nobleman's servant. And there's a lot of things in there that we don't even have. You know, they said if everything was written in the book the world uh, that Jesus did, the world couldn't contain the book. So we're just giving you a few things that Jesus did as he was making friends and doing things that were good. He went about doing good. But the word great multitude, if you'll look that up, it means a throng. And it says figuratively, a riot. So here we have a throng or this riot of people that are following Jesus Christ. And then you come to the second verse. And if you look at at the eighth chapter of Matthew, it's just chock full of these miracles that Jesus performed. He healed a leper. Uh, Then he heals Peter's mother. And it says, in the same evening, they brought many to him that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. And verse 18, the same chapter, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. Once again, there's the throng or the riot that's following Jesus Christ. Suppose you were one of the ones that he had healed, or maybe you had asked for your son to be healed, or maybe your daughter to be healed, or yourself, that you had something that you knew was going to take your life, and Jesus Christ healed you. Would you have been his friend? I would say yes. I I would have been his friend. I think any of us here this morning would have had a care for him to be his friend. You go to the 8th chapter, verse 28, that's where Jesus heals the legion. Chapter 9, Jesus heals a man sick of the palsy, which is paralysis or a stroke. And then you go to chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, and you get the same. I want you just to see this. It just kind of builds up. And he arose and departed to his house, but when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Apparently, some of them still thought, well, he's just a man, but God's given him this great power, and uh, they have become his friend. Well, this fame spreads about all the land. People hear about Jesus Christ. He's making friends. You might say he's winning friends and influencing people. And you come to uh, 9.18, Jesus raises the dead. A ruler comes and says his daughter is dead, and Jesus takes her by the hand, and she rises. So you see his fame is kind of getting up even to some important places. In Matthew 9.26, it says his fame went abroad in all the land. And he's becoming very, very, very popular. I just want to give you a few more here because I want you to see how that in, in this book that it continues to show us how Jesus became more famous. Matthew 9:31, but they when they were departed spread about his fame in all that country. So this fame of Jesus, his popularity, the friends that he made was not just in one place, but it was everywhere. You know, when they were talking on the road to Emmaus, they said this thing was not done in a corner. Everybody knew who Jesus was and what he was doing. You can think of some popular people in America today that everybody knows what they're doing, what they're saying, everything that's going on about them. In 9.35 and 36, it says, He saw the multitudes was moved with compassion 
and they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And so he had compassion for all the multitudes. And in chapter 13, he goes out of the house and sat by the seaside. Great multitudes followed him to speak when he went into a ship. So there were so many people there, the throng was around him. He couldn't speak. So he has to get in this ship and they push it offshore so that he can speak to the people from the ship. So as fame is spreading, he feeds 5,000 people (laughs) from just a few fish and a few loaves of bread and he feeds 5,000 people. And then he turns around and he feeds 4,000 more. And that's not counting women and children. So we've got thousands and thousands of people that have become friends of Jesus Christ because of all the things that he has done for them. And then you come to, it says in Matthew 15, 30, And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, the blind to see. They glorified the God of Israel. And so his fame continues to spread. And when you read the book of Matthew, I want you to note that. How many friends that Jesus Christ made. Well, we could go on and on about the things that Jesus did. But as he does all of this and he's making all these friends and he's becoming very, very popular, the religious leaders of that day, they become jealous. He has more fame than they do. More popularity. He's made them out to be a bunch of phonies, basically, who didn't know very much and had no power from God. And, of course, they wanted to get rid of him. I wouldn't get rid of him for good. They didn't want to just silence him. They wanted to put him to death. One of the things they're going to try to do is to turn all of his friends against him. All of the people that Jesus Christ had healed, that he had fed, they had had compassion. And so now we come to the place where they begin to vent. And they begin to speak about Jesus Christ. And so I want us in our own minds this morning to put ourselves in that place. You've been one of those people. Jesus Christ, you know about him. He's, he's healed your, somebody that you love, yourself or somebody. And so you've got these religious leaders out there in that day. And they begin to make accusations against him. He said that he's God. He's more important than Caesar. He says he can forgive sin. He's this. He's that. Would you have been persuaded in that day to turn your back on the person of Jesus Christ? I think that's a question that we could all ask ourselves today. I mean, I think that's why it's there. The Lord wants us to search our own heart and say, okay, if I were living in that day, where would I be found when all of this was going on? So we bring him to the chief priests and elders, and we read the story. They spit upon him. They laughed him to scorn. They placed a crown of thorns upon his head. They slapped him in the face, put on the purple robe. They bring in some false accusers. But it looks like there may be a ray of hope because there's one person during the Passover that they get to release 
And so Pilate says, I'll wash my hands of the whole matter, but I get to release into you one person. He was trying to get Jesus off the hook. (laughs) And he said, who shall I release into you? And the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude. I want you to notice that word again. Matthew 27 and 20. The multitude, the throng, the people persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So here is their opportunity. The person that has helped them the most, that has healed their friends, their family members, themselves. And the governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. And Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. Do we not see the depravity of the human heart? <laughs> I, know, I can see that in my own heart that there's been many times that I did not appreciate the person of Jesus Christ like I should have. They said, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. The very same people that Jesus Christ had done all of those things for. I'm glad God's love for us is not like that. Amen. <laughs> but let's go even further into this thing. Let's go to the cross. Would you have been there to maybe take up for him? Would you have been the person coming out, coming in when everybody else was walking out for Jesus? There's a few women there. The Bible does note there's several Marys that are there and John. Other than that, you don't find many people coming in for Jesus Christ. It says, and they that passed by, this is 2739 if you're still in Matthew. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyed the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. That word revile means to blaspheme Jesus Christ. Now, I would have expected it from his enemies. I mean, you know, the priests and, 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 and the scribes and Pharisees, they were all around saying the same thing. We're going to expect that because they're not his friends. But can you imagine how Jesus Christ must have felt upon that cross? All the things that he did for those people. And here they are. No, no one stands up and says, oh, That's Jesus. He's done so many good things for me and my family. Do you see anybody in the Bible that stands up for Jesus Christ and tries to defend him from his persecutors? You don't see the 5,000, the 4,000. You don't see the leper. You don't see the blind person. You don't see the woman with the issue of blood. Now, I recognize some of them may not have been there. I know that's true. But when we've got a multitude and a throng of people and there's not one person 
that will stand up for the person of Jesus Christ. Is that not a sad story? And how sad is it today, really? For the things that Jesus Christ has done for people. There's no different. They're coming along here. They're wagging. They're, they're blaspheming him. So I'd ask you, where would you be on that day? You've, you, you know, you've heard Jesus and you've gone to him in prayer. You've asked him to do things for you. He's healed you, your son, your daughter. And so I say, well, where would we have been on that day? I suspect that most people would have been where they are on these days. <laughs> you know. Basically the same. Basically the same. I don't find many people walking for Jesus Christ today, defending him. Oh, I'll say they believe in him. If you ask him, they might even say, I believe he died for me for me on the cross. But really, are they, are they showing up for Him to worship Him? Sunday morning is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Amen. That's why we worship on that morning. But I see the same fickle crowd you know, in the world today. I know that may sound may, maybe a little terse. But you know, I'm telling you the truth. Amen. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Not many walking in the church today as the world grows darker. And you know, he's still being wounded by a lot of his friends. If I were to ask you this morning, if you are the friend of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to ask you to do it, but would you raise your hand? Would you do it? Would you do that at least? I mean, if I ask you to do it. But I really wonder what kind of friends we are to him. How faithful we are to Him for what He has done for us. If I were to ask you how many of your prayers He's answered, could you think of one? Did, you, I wonder, did any of you ask for, for it to rain this last few weeks? And if, it, if you did, and it rained, did you thank Him? <laughs> I was thinking about that last week. You know, We can err on two different ways. One is not even ask Him. Forget where the rain does come from, who makes it. And then we can forget to thank him when he does it. I wonder how many times we forget our friend. The friend that does the things for us, that we forget to thank him for the things that he's done for us. He does it. Well, have you ever done anything for somebody that didn't even thank you for it? <laughs> he said, that's a thankless person. Well, we're, we're, we can all be thankless people. You know, he can still be wounded in this house. You know, we had our communion this year. And there were hardly anybody here. I wondered how that wounded him. I went, where were you? Where were any of us? You know where you were. And some of my own friends wounded me by not being here. He was wounded in the house of his friends. Does that sink down in our hearts today? Of how callous the people were in that day for all of the friends that Jesus Christ had. They said, crucify him. Psalms 22, verse 5 and 6 speaks of that occasion. It says, they cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and they were not confounded. That's what Jesus did. They trusted in him. They were not confounded. But here's what he says about himself. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. 
All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Another prophetic reference of his friends. But before we close this morning, I want to go back to our original text. I want to go back to Zechariah. Because of all that happened to Jesus Christ, the fickle friends, the people that don't have time for him, I want to go back and I want to see who really smote him. Though his friends did desert him, and though they were the ones that in one sense wounded him, there's a theological thing here that I want us to see in Zechariah. Verse 13, verse 6 and 7. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. Do you know who smote the Lord Jesus Christ for you? It was his father. His father. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his humanity, he was left alone. He trod the winepress alone because in the everlasting covenant, that was the plan. That Jesus Christ would come down from heaven. That he would die for a people that the Father chose before the world began. He gave them to the Son. The Son said, I will die for those people, my friends. I'll die for my friends. That's... is, is When you think that Jesus died for his friends, the things he asked us to do, is that a big thing? The sins, your sins were placed upon him by the Father. Oh, he suffered upon the cross in a physical way. As any man would suffer upon a cross. There have been thousands of people crucified and suffered. Even martyrs. But you see, that wasn't his greatest suffering. His suffering were your sins and my sins. All of those filthy sins of ours were placed upon the spotless Lamb of God. And the hell that we would have endured in eternity for those sins that you and I have committed, He suffered that in three hours of darkness, I believe. Some people don't like you to say it like that, but that's what I believe and I'm preaching right now. That's what I believe. That's how He suffered. That word, if you look it up, it says, um, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. The word fellow means an associate or a kindred man. In other words, another God or God. God punished God. That's what we see. But it did please the Lord to do that, didn't it? Because it pleased the Lord to do it because that fulfilled the everlasting covenant that redeemed us from the wrath to come. Isaiah 53 and 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. I was wounded in the house of my friends by his fellows, by God. 
He trod the winepress alone. And I think this morning, I would ask, where is your heart this morning? Is Jesus Christ your friend? I pray that he is. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching from one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things that are so common in the religion of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.